Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and welcome to you. Thank you for joining me. Today, we will be in the book of Revelation, and we're doing a deep dive study into this book. I believe that it's very pertinent for our time, and so I trust that this will be a blessing to you through this study, and we hope that you can stay with us for all of the messages. Now let's get right into the message. I'm directed by the Lord. I want us to go to the book of Revelation in the scripture. And we will be in Revelation for quite some time because it is a thick, rich book that is definitely applicable to our time today, to the days in which we are living. And I believe the Lord wants to speak to us from the book of Revelation so we're going to begin that topic today. And in order to do that, I'd like to read Revelation chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, and we will read through verse 3, and we will discuss these three verses in this first lesson. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. I want us to begin this very important book and just cover a few introductory things now. And then I want us to look at these first three verses in detail. First of all, let's note this. The word revelation means apocalypse. It's the Greek word apocalypse, apocalypso. And it means the unveiling the unveiling or the revealing of something. It's like you pull a curtain back to reveal what's been behind it all along, but has been hidden from view until now. So it's as if you were to have something that you, maybe a, a door that was closed and you had not been into that particular room and so you open the door and see that, or you pull back a curtain and see what's been there all along, but was not revealed until now. Notice that John begins this book. John the Apostle is the author of this book. And John says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. This book reveals Jesus now, in this book, we will also learn about other characters in the end times, other characters that are going to appear on the scene, other names, etc. But this book is devoted to revealing Jesus Christ. Now, you might say, well, the whole of the Bible does that. Yes, it does. You might say, well, I thought that's what the Gospels did. Yes, they do in his first coming, and things that pertain to the second coming are mentioned there. But 
Revelation is different in that it will reveal the whole of the picture. In other words, it's going to tell us what, maybe what Paul Harvey used to call the rest of the story. It will answer remaining questions that may have been left unanswered totally by other books in the Bible because they were not completely revealed. They were not completely disclosed in those books. Many of them were prophesied and pointed to, but not necessarily fully disclosed in some areas. So it will answer remaining questions. It will tie up all remaining prophecies yet to be fulfilled. For instance, there was a promise given to David that David would have a king sitting upon his throne forever and that that particular person would come from his lineage. Now we know that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, the Son of David. We are told that in the Gospels and we know that he is the promised king, the Messiah king. But in his first coming, he never sat on David's throne. So that is an unfulfilled prophecy which will happen, and Revelation tells us more about that and ties it together, helps us see it is coming to pass and explains to us when that will happen. Another example is the fulfillment of Jesus' words that he spoke to Pilate in John chapter 18. We read these words in verse 33 through 36. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. So Jesus himself speaks of his kingdom. He speaks of his kingdom not being of this world. So that's another one that we learn more about by understanding and going through Revelation. We also see how it ties up the remaining prophecies that are spoken of in the New Testament. A few examples, John chapter 14, verse 3 where Jesus said in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 14 of John, he said that I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And if I go away to prepare a place for you, I will come again. So we find out more about when that will be fulfilled and when Jesus will come again and receive us to himself to be with him. We see 
the fulfillment of some other prophecies in the New Testament as well. For instance, Jude chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, and this particular prophecy goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. But Jude makes note of it here in his book, It Is Yet Unfulfilled. Revelation gives us more information about this being fulfilled. Jude chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are godly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So we see Jude quoting Enoch's prophecy way back from Genesis, and Jude is saying that this will happen. Has not yet happened, but is coming in the future. We see Paul in several places. I'm just going to read one or two here. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16 and 17, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Then he goes on down and he talks about the coming of the, of the Lord. He says, chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Verse 3. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Paul gives us more information in 1 Corinthians 15, and I just want to read, beginning in verse 51, for a few verses. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? Praise be to God. And then in Peter, for instance, in Second Peter, Chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. So we have several places, these are just a few, in the New Testament where we see prophecies that were given to us that have not yet been fulfilled, but Revelation gives us the rest of the story. Revelation tells us more details and timing of when 
these will in fact come to pass. This also fulfills Jesus' promise to a few of his disciples. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 28, Jesus says this, Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So Revelation also gives us information about this prophecy being fulfilled. Now, in Matthew 16, 28, a few days later, we, see, we go into Matthew chapter 17, and we understand Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration, and he takes Peter, James, and John up there with him, and they have a momentary glimpse into his glory in his kingdom. The three of them get to see that when Moses and Elijah come and appear with him there in that moment. So they do get to experience that, that promise in Matthew 16, verse 28. However, one of those three actually got to see the Lord Jesus coming in his kingdom and he is the author of the book of Revelation. And that was the apostle John. John was actually given the privilege to be the one that Jesus was speaking of here because he did not die until he had seen the Lord coming in all of his kingdom. And John writes it for us in the book. Of Revelation. He writes this book for us in approximately 95 AD, shortly before he would then die. The book was written when John was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. Now some believe that John was, uh, church tradition, some church tradition holds that John was attempted to be destroyed and killed, uh, martyred for the faith, possibly by being boiled in a pot of oil. I've heard that one and read that one in, other, in some places. But God was not finished with John yet. And so the Lord used his exile to the Isle of Patmos, and it was on this island of Patmos where he was sent. It was a penal island, and it was on this isle when he was in exile that Jesus comes to him in this revelation and gives him Jesus' last words to be put into the whole of Scripture. And this book completes the whole of Scripture. It ties up these loose ends. It tells us more about the unfulfilled prophecies that are yet to come, and it answers any remaining questions giving us the rest of the story about Jesus Christ. Now, Revelation is a book that many people shun because they feel that it's too mysterious and difficult to understand. And yes, there are parts of Revelation that are difficult to understand. However, we need to understand this about the book of Revelation, and that is we need to know 
that we can understand Revelation by letting Scripture interpret Scripture. There are a few principles in the study of the Word and in understanding the Word of God, and one of those is that Scripture is to interpret Scripture. And when we use that principle, we can understand more about the book of Revelation. Let me read you this verse also. In Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 9, Solomon, the wisest man on earth prior to Jesus Christ, says this, That which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, See, this is new? It has already been in ancient times before us. So right here, Solomon is telling us that the things that are yet to happen, we can look back to the things that have been to understand those things that are yet to happen. What has been is what will be. So it may not come in the exact way that it happened in the past, but what Solomon is telling us here is that we can understand these things because there's a prior pattern, a prior promise, or a prior principle in the scriptures. And so to understand revelation and future things, we have to go back to other places in the scripture and let scripture interpret scripture. We also have to realize that Revelation is very much a Jewish book. There's a tremendous amount of Jewish revelation here, Jewish roots, Jewish connections, and we need to understand that to, to get a thorough knowledge of this book. For instance, the lamb that was slain, that takes us to an understanding of Jewishness in the traditions and the sacrificial system. It speaks of the lion of the tribe of Judah, one of the 12 tribes. We have reference in Revelation to the temple that was Jewish reference. There is information in here concerning and mentioning Jerusalem and the new Jerusalem. Those help us understand that because they're Jewish. It's talking about Jerusalem, the eternal capital of the Jewish people, God's holy city where his name has been placed. He has placed his name there. Revelation tells us what to expect and gives us general time frames. And it draws us to connect with the rest of Scripture in a sense that we are putting the pieces of the puzzle together. The whole of Scripture is similar to a puzzle that's being put together. And we have to look at all of Scripture to be able to connect those pieces together. And so Revelation 
to understand it, we have to connect it with its puzzle pieces from other places in Scripture. And in reference to the first three verses that we read, verses 1 through 3, John speaks about this, and he says that these things must shortly take place. Now, we might read that and think it's been 2,000 years since John wrote that. We don't necessarily consider that shortly taking place. But of course, we have to remember a couple of things. First of all, God's timing is perfect, and it's much different than our timing. To him, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. But we also have to understand the Greek words that are used here and what they mean. Shortly take place is talking about the Greek word. It's taken from the Greek word takos, and it means hastily or speedily. It reminds us of the tachometer in a car, which registers the revolutions per minute. It's a measurement of speed, but in that case, the measurement of the revolutions of speed. It's giving the indication of tacos being something that revs up. So this shortly taking place, it's like it will rev up in acceleration and in intensity. It's interesting because this same Greek word is used in a place in Luke chapter 18. In the first few verses of that, Jesus is talking about a parable. He's talking about an unjust judge and this woman this widow that needs help, and she keeps coming and asking him and pleading with him, and she, in essence, becomes nagging him. She starts to nag him, and so the unjust judge finally says, I don't even fear God, but to get this woman off my back, I'm going to give her what she needs, okay? So Jesus uses that as a parable. Then in verse 6, it says, then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? In other words, he's saying if this unjust judge was so ready to get her off his back that he gave her what she wanted, how much more the God of heaven who loves his people and they continue to cry out to him, he will answer them. He will take care of their needs. And notice the very next phrase that Jesus says, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? It's interesting how he connects that together with when the Lord comes back. And will he really find that kind of persistence like that woman had, that kind of faith to keep asking the Lord, to keep turning to the Lord? Is Jesus going to find that kind of faith when he comes back on the earth? That's what he's saying. So we see that this tacos is an increase in, a rev, in revving up the speed. 
This concept can also be understood in terms of pregnancy, which also ties with the things that the Bible speaks about, the coming days and the coming of the time of the book of Revelation, because Jesus speaks of it as birth pangs or the beginning of sorrows, as do some of the other prophets. And with pregnancy, when the time draws close for the baby to be born, there are contractions that the woman begins to have. Now, early in the stage that nears the delivery stage, she may have what we typically call Braxton Hicks contractions, which means that she's starting to have contractions, but they're not they're not the ones that will literally take her to the birthing stage, take her into the actual delivery. But what the Braxton Hicks do tell her is that it won't be much longer before the real thing begins. And when real labor begins, all those contractions, once they start, they're not going to stop until the baby is born. Once they start, they will increase in frequency and they will increase in intensity all the way up until the baby is born. So John is using this kind of understanding for us when he speaks about these things shortly taking place. We'll see that again in verse 3 as well. Notice also that this is the one book in the entire Bible now, let me make this clear. All of the Bible, all scripture is profitable for us. It is all inspired by God. It is all wonderful and rich and necessary. But this particular book carries its own blessing. It says here, blessed in verse three, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it. So there is a threefold blessing here in this particular book. It's interesting because the one book in the Bible that carries such its own of its own blessing is generally speaking the one book that most people read the least. But God says here that you will be blessed if you read this book, if you hear the words of the prophecy, and if you keep the words of this book. Now, this word for keep is talking about to preserve it, to protect it. It's like to guard it like a sentinel. So it can speak of treasuring it, preserving it, guarding it from loss or, or misapplication, perhaps. Guarding it from those who would want to throw it out of the Bible, those who would want to ignore it, those who would want to downplay it, especially as we get closer and closer to the time of its fulfillment. But it also can include obeying it, treasuring it in the sense that you do it, you care about it, it, it is a high priority to you, and you apply it. So we will be blessed when we read it, when we hear it, and when we keep it according to what God has said. Then he says again, for the time is near. That means it's imminent. It's going to happen soon. 
Here again, we use and we look to this pregnancy example, for instance, because when a woman gets pregnant, time passes and the baby is growing. There's development that's going on. But as the time gets closer, she'll start to have those Braxton Hicks contractions and they are not the real thing yet, but they tell her that you're getting close and it won't be long. It's soon to come. It's near. Those Braxton Hicks type contractions are initial indicators that she is very close to the real thing. And then once real labor pains begin, they will increase in intensity and in frequency and they will not stop until the delivery is complete. So the prophecy in this book, the revelation in this book of the wrap-up of the story about Jesus, of all the remaining things that need to be fulfilled concerning Jesus, that wrap-up is this book of prophecy called The Revelation of Jesus Christ. And it is certain that the time is drawing near and we are living in the days when it is drawing closer every single day that we are on this planet. And all we have to do is look around and see what's going on in the world. We'll talk about more of that as we go through, but we know that we are in the season of time when this is coming to pass and it will increase in frequency and intensity as we get closer and closer to the time of this completion of God's beautiful story and the revealing of Jesus in his second coming and as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Well, thank you for joining me today for this message in the book of Revelation. And I pray that you can join us again for all of the continuing messages as we take a deep dive through this beautiful book in the scriptures. May God bless you richly today. In Jesus' name, amen.